poetic earthlings. Before we get started in the special bonus episode, I would like to thank Jennifer Willis. She's a new friend of mine on Twitter and also a fabulous writer. I can't wait for you to hear her in season three of this show. Also, Tiffany C. Lewis has a new book out, or it's coming out very soon. I'm going to let you know the details when the book launches. Special thank you as well to Brent Stark from the Precious Commodity Podcast. If you like this show, you will really, really like his. In fact, I'm the producer of his show as well. So check out his show, The Most Precious Commodity. And if you like this episode, I'm releasing the Poetic Earthling Studio. So I could take your material, your story, and produce it. And if you like my voice, you like everything that I'm doing here, and you are a short story writer or a poet, then reach out to me. My handle on Twitter is Poetic Earthlings. Or you could send me an email. Say what? Yeah, the email, the old-fashioned technology. Campbell 44 at gmail.com I'd definitely like to hear from you if you want me to produce your show. I got it. So that's about it. And you will hear from me very soon. Enjoy this special bonus episode. This one is written by Dark Samaritan. It was on the first season of Poetic Earthlings. And here it is again. I'll talk to you on the other side. The news channel talked about the dangers of space travel. Right about now, the capsule is going about 400 miles per hour. And how the human body tends to atrophied due to a lack of gravity. There on your screen, we have a shot of the capsule as it is preparing to deploy those initial parachutes, the drogue parachutes. It showed an astronaut climbing outside of his capsule. Spacecraft Commander Doug Hurley making his way out of the capsule. And it looks like we've got him out. He could barely move one foot in front of the other. He gave a thumbs up to the camera before he was loaded on a stretcher. My wife watched in horror, offended by mankind's hubris, of thinking we are made for extraterrestrial travel. News reporter talked about the psychological impact of floating around in the metal container, hurtling into space. And it turns out the psychological rigors are among the most important to consider. Do you walk away from this reasonably optimistic that human beings are well adapted to do that part of it, the psychological rigors? Some of them are, but I've also flown in space with people that I don't think should be someone that spends a really long time in space. Uh, I think it's for a certain type of person. There's hundreds of thousands of people in our country that have the endurance to do a mission to Mars someday, absolutely. I admire their sense of adventure, their can-do spirit, their tiny bodies thrown into orbit. Call me crazy. Everything is safe down here. Things happen by clockwork. My boss is a jerk and I'm not getting any younger. And no one loves a poet until he's dead. 
Musk's mission to Mars might sound like a fictional story, but the billionaire's vision is quickly heading towards reality. If he and his brainchild SpaceX can take the human race from Earth dwellers to a multi-planetarium race, it will be the most ambitious... And Decisions are made by the higher-ups in the government. Their strings are attached to my back and neck. They tell me how fast to run and who to worship and replaced Jesus with a paycheck. No wonder I desire a spaceship to explore constellations, to take a break from the daily hustle. News reporter talked about a solar mission in an advanced rocket ship that could move beyond ultrasonic. That's crazy. Who in their right mind would sign up for that? My wife enjoys arguing with the news anchor and shaking her fist at the screen. I didn't respond. I learned that the key to a happy marriage is to keep your mouth shut and do as you're told. Few days later, I entered my name into a raffle. Didn't think anything of it. Thousands of space enthusiasts threw their name in the hat. I would be surprised if they called me back. but. It wouldn't be much of a story if they didn't do that. I was excited, nervous, and confused. Why would they choose a married middle-aged man to take a one-way mission to Mars? We only made it seem like it was a raffle. An impressive-looking fellow with well-defined features and grease-lightning hairdo continued to speak. We went through all the candidates, crunched the numbers, and trusted the algorithms. He still didn't answer my question. But I didn't press the issue. The dream of a space flight was only weeks away. Why get bogged down in the details? I'm sure Neil Armstrong didn't ask a boatload of questions before he landed on the lunar surface. We copy it down, Eagle. Was he excited, nervous, and confused just like me? These were men born from a different soil, made out of titanium and a sense of adventure. My wife was out of the loop. I know. I had to tell her, right? You have to tell your wife. The worst thing she could do is to flip out and say no. But I'm the man, the modern-day Neil Armstrong, the one chosen out of a thousands and thousands of candidates. Besides, who needs her permission? I don't ask a million questions, so I should be able to come and go as I please. My male bravado melted away when I approached her. A butcher knife was in her clutches as she sliced through a chicken. 17 years of marriage, almost two decades of joy and pain. In a few days, I would be in a capsule and hurled further than mankind ever traveled. More than likely, she will mention the health complication and what a selfish decision to abandon the marriage and then throw the butcher knife in my direction. 
I could say I'm doing this for science and to bring humanity into balance. And my sacrifice will pave the way for future generations. She stopped me before I went into my speech. NASA called. She put down the knife, avoided eye contact. What was she thinking? I'm cool with it. I couldn't believe my ears. She's probably not aware that it's a one-way trip. I explained the details, but she wasn't phased in the least. She opened the bank app on her phone. My eyes froze. Five million dollars was deposited in her account. Courtesy of the government. My wife mentioned all the items on her wish list and the expensive Bora Bora trip. I've never seen her like this, so happy, so giddy, like a schoolgirl. But isn't she going to miss me? After my crash course in astronomics and deep space survival tactics, I was ready. Next to us, we have a high altitude chamber. That's also very important for space flight, a spatial disorientation chamber, like behind us. It's a G-force device, which might help with different types of disorientation you might experience in space. And then the high G space training simulator that you'll go into. Once you reach an altitude, they're actually going to drop the spaceship. You will feel the drop, and then the rocket will ignite, and that's the launch portion. I expected the capsule to be small, like the one Kalel was on when he landed on Earth. Rather, it was spacious, with a bridge, sleeping quarters, and an observation deck. My lifelong supply of food was compressed and labeled. Massive water tanks was on the belly of the capsule, enough for showers and drinking purposes. My umbilical cord, connected me to Earth, was in the form of a computer interface. Communication would be a two-way street. Eagle, Houston, we, Houston, we see you on the stereo. Over. Roger, Eagle, I'm done. I strapped myself in, reclined the chair, prepared for takeoff. Engines rumbled. Slowly, the capsule elevated. A countdown blasted through my helmet. Ten, nine, Second thoughts weaseled their way in, but it was too late. At zero, the capsule launched like David's slingshot. Planets and asteroids receded, along with the stars in the arm of Orion. The capsule continued into the dark void. My watch stopped ticking. The computer panel displayed random letters and shapes. The capsule slowed down 
almost coming to a complete stop. NASA, NASA, do you read me? There was only static. Wherever I am is way out of reach. Okay, think. Stop panicking. And think. That was useless. I panicked and pressed every switch. Engines were idle. Clocks were not working. I was screwed. Recalibrating. The computer flickered. The random letters and shapes gave way to a map. Recalibrating. The capsule turned around. I breathed easy when I saw the Milky Way straight ahead. Mistakes happen. Soon, I would be touching down on the red planet. This was not the case. Engines kicked in at full throttle. The robotic voice told me to strap in. What seemed like mere minutes, I flew past Mars. A few moments later, I breached Earth's orbit. There must be a mechanical error. That's why they are pulling me back. I tried reassuring myself. The engine stopped. Faint ticking sound was heard. I looked down at my watch. The hands were moving, but the date was completely off. Piece of crap, I struck it. The display still showed the wrong date. More precisely, it was off by 400 years. Before I could make sense of it, I heard an old-fashioned phone ringing by the observation deck. I followed the sound. to a rotary phone attached to the wall. I placed the receiver to my ear, not knowing who was on the other side. This is Pegasus. You've entered a restricted zone. State your purpose or prepare for extermination. The Quickening, Part 1 Written by Dark Samaritan And produced by York Campbell Thank you, Dark Samaritan, for creating this story, and I look forward to the other parts of it as well. If you want to reach out to Dark Samaritan, you could go on his on Twitter. His handle there is at Samaritan Dark. That's at Samaritan Dark. The details will be on my website, poeticearthlings.com. 
So thank you, Dark. I'm not really sure where you're going to take the story next and what's going to happen, but I definitely look forward to it. And also, thank you for listening to this show. To get a hold of me as well, you could reach out to me on Twitter. My handle there is Poetic Earthlings. You could also send me a DM and to see what you think about this show as well and other past shows. And also do me a favor, spread the word about this show. It's really great to hear from people all around the world. It's very, very encouraging. As you know, I'm here in the in Canada, in, in the, the Ottawa Valley. And it's not like a, a major city, a major metropolis. You shut your mouth. Oh, this is going to the next level. You got that. But I'm receiving people from from parts of, in California, in Nigeria, in, in India. And so it's really, really encouraging. So thank you so much that this that this little podcast is spreading literally all around the world. Don't mention it. And also, if you could do me a favor, if you like this show, and I know that you do, you could go to the website, buymeacoffee slash poeticearthlings. There you could leave a donation, a gift. If you give on a monthly basis, then you'll receive brand new material, remixes and experimental things that I'm working on. Thank you once again for listening to this show. Special thank you to my big brother, Elvis. Remember, be kind to each other. Be a good earthling. And I'll talk to you soon. For the eyes of the world, now look into space, to the moon, and to the planets beyond. And we have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest, but by a banner of freedom. We have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction, but with instruments of knowledge. Yet the vows of this nation can only be fulfilled if we in this nation are first, and therefore we intend to be first.